Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Praise the Lord. In your Bibles, as they receive the offering, turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon, Philemon. Amen. There's only one chapter. Last week we were talking about the dangers of unanswered prayer. You know, Naaman the leper, you don't have to turn there, but over in 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm sure he was praying to be healed of leprosy. And God gave him his answer, but he couldn't see it. Amen? Sometimes you got to be able to see the answer of God. And now let me just say this also. I don't know why I'm, that's coming to my heart and my spirit to say this, but it's good. After you get a prayer answer, you got to be careful that you don't get discouraged in what that prayer has produced. Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you get out on your knees and you pray for six weeks, six months, six years. Oh, Lord, I want your will. I want your will. I want your will. I want your will. will. Then you wake up in Africa. <laughs> Amen. Or Galveston. <laughs> Amen. Well, I mean, what were you praying, Lord? I want your will. I do anything. I go anywhere. I do, you know, and then all of a sudden it happens. Well, you got to be careful to guard what your prayer has produced because if you don't value and guard what your prayer produces, you'll lose it. Now, Philemon, let's look at something else tonight. I think this is good. Verse 4 says, it says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith. Everybody say love and faith. Now, love and faith is always conducive to revelation. If you'll walk in love and faith, that means you'll always have the revealed Word of God coming to you. It just won't be the preached Word of God or, or the proclaimed Word of God or, or you know, something. That you, no, you, you'll have revelation. Revelation will come to you. You see it over in Ephesians in the prayer that Paul prayed in the church to, at Ephesus there, that when I heard of your love and your faith, I begin to pray for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of Him. So love and faith is very important when it comes to receiving revelation. I've always noticed people that are hard, People that, are, people that are very religious, very dogmatic, they don't have any revelation at all. I mean, you try to talk to them about things that are revealed in the Word that you know, that, that, that are the standards for your doctrine, and they're like, I don't believe that. I don't believe He heals. I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, you got to loosen up a little bit. Walk in love. Have a little bit of faith. And then God will open your heart up so you receive revelation. It says, uh, hearing of thy love and thy faith, which thy house toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all saints. Now notice that. Not only toward the Lord Jesus, but toward all saints. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in, ye, which is in Christ in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have heard with great joy and consolation in thy love because of the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now Philemon was a guy who was obviously an exhorter. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to him and saying, hey man, Every place you go, I get a report back that everybody really enjoyed you because you really refreshed them. Amen? Now, what he's saying to him, he's saying, the communication of your faith is working. When you go out and whether you're communicating to one person or whether you're communicating to a, a, a church, a congregation of people, the report that gets back to me is that people were blessed, people were refreshed. Now, now I looked at that a little bit. It says, uh, uh, the, the refreshing, what does that mean? It says they were put at ease. Now listen to this. And then there is an implied 
an implied thought that it removes the threat environment. Now listen to that. That wherever Philemon going, however he was ministering, whether it was just to one person or whether it was to a crowd of people, that his communication of his faith was effectual in removing the threat, amen, environment from the situation. Now, God wants all of us to be able to communicate our faith just like that. Now, let me say that again. God wants every one of us to be able to communicate our faith in such a way that as we communicate our faith, what is our faith? That which God has done for us, that which God is doing in us, and that which God does through us, our testimony. That as we communicate that, it removes the threat environment. You know, I've noticed this for years, and I've done my best to try and, 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 and get it removed. But services many times are saturated with threat environments. If you don't understand that or you don't recognize that, then sometimes you'll fall under that and you'll be inhibited from receiving from God. The number one threat environment of any service is the offering. Because now you're dealing with people's money. Now you're dealing with what people work for, what people have to have to live, what people pay their bills with. And if your heart isn't right toward giving, or if you've not stepped under the grace of giving in your life, then every time the word money is mentioned, you throw a guard up. And all the stories about all the preachers that have done all the bad things and all the years that have gone by get started, you know, start getting rehearsed in your mind and all of, all of a sudden something that is designed to bless you becomes a threat to you. Now, keep your finger there or mark that real quick and I want you to go to Mark chapter 10. Let me put my marker back in here. Go to Mark chapter 10. I want to show you something. This is really interesting. I got to studying this and looking at this in the Word. I believe this will help us to correctly communicate our faith. Now, they're in verse, uh, they're in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. Now, I'm just going to read the story because if I stop, then I'll get, start to teaching on something that I shouldn't be and I'll, and I'll miss my point of what I'm trying to do tonight. Uh, chapter 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled at him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Everybody say eternal life. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest: go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and, follow, come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away, grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches, riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying to them among themselves, Who then can be saved? Now, you know, I think many times we think everything Jesus did was perfect, everything he did was right, and everything he did was successful. That's not true. Here's someone he did not affect. 
Here's someone he lost. Not only did he lose this guy, he freaked out all the other guys that had been following him. Come on, church. I mean, let's, we're either going to read the Bible with religious blinders on or we're going to read it for what it says. So Jesus didn't initiate this situation. This young man came to him and said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to tap dance around the subject. He's going to tell this guy what he needs to do uh, to, to, to receive eternal life. And he starts where? He starts right where he was in the, the dispensation, the Old Testament dispensation, talking about the law, obeying the law. If you'll do this, if you'll do all the thou shalt nots, and if you'll do all the thus saith the Lord's. And, and the guy kind of interrupted him in the middle of it and said, hey, I've been doing all this since I was young. That's why he was rich, young, and a ruler. Because the covenant was working for him. Then Jesus said this, one thing thou lackest. Now when Jesus said one thing thou lackest, immediately a threat environment happened. Because anytime something you're not doing is challenged by something you're supposed to do, we are conditioned immediately to throw guards up. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. One thing thou lackest. Well, I, I thought I was doing everything right. I was obeying the law. I, I, I honor my mother and father. I haven't defrauded anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't killed. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness. I'm doing everything the law says. Now, wait a second. I've come to you with a legitimate question of inheriting eternal life, and all of a sudden, there's this one thing mentality. I thought, I thought you were giving me some, you know, some, some glorious assignment or something. No, no. Jesus said, one thing you lack. And then as he proceeded into the one thing, it, it became a definite threat environment for this guy. One thing you lack, here's what you need to do, buddy. You need to go sell everything you have. You need to go give it to the poor. You need to come take up your cross and follow me. And that was done, it was the done deal right there. Boom, that's it. Because in a threat environment, when something is communicated in a threat environment, it always produces fear. Amen? This guy could not see himself following Jesus. He could not see himself as an apostle. He could not see himself hanging around for the end of the service or the end of the sermon because we know what the end of the sermon was. Jesus himself said, listen, I'm telling you, everybody that leaves houses, lands, mothers, fathers shall here in this life receive 30 or receive a hundredfold and in the life to come eternal life. He answered the guy's question with an invitation to be an apostle. But the guy was not there because he left because what was said was perceived as a threat. Not only that, it pulled all of the disciples into the same thing. Notice what it said. The first time it says, verse 24, the disciples were astonished at his words. Amen. And then verse 26 says, and they were astonished out of measure. That means you could not measure how freaked out they were. That means they were walking around wringing their hands going, oh no, oh no, oh no, no, no. Is that what we're going to have to do? They didn't realize they'd already done it. They didn't realize they had already done it. And many times that is what happens in an environment in which God wants to impart revelation to you. The enemy has a way of turning something that needs to really be a blessing into your life into a threat to you. You put a guard up and instead of faith coming, fear comes. It keeps people from being healed. It keeps people from being blessed. Now listen, communication is a two-way street. And a lot of people would think, well, you know, uh, uh, well, Pastor, you're inept at communicating. 
Or this other preacher we had, he's inept at communicating. Or the guy that's still on the radio, he was inept. Listen, here's the thing. If you're being communicated to, you, know, you need to know how to be communicated to so that that which God wants to say to you gets said in a way in which it's not a threat to you. It's presented to you in such a way that you have a willingness in you to obey what God is saying. Because God is not desirous that He impart to anybody any type of revelation that produces unwillingness. He wants you willing. Amen. Now, in this was built in what? A sacrifice. But out of the sacrifice would have come a harvest. Whoops. You said, what do you mean by that? Everything that is sacrificed in the kingdom produces harvest. Now, go back to Philemon. Now, listen to this. Here's Philemon. This guy, this is the guy you want to come to your church and preach. Because as he communicates the Word of God, as he communicates the Word of God, it removes the threat environment, amen, and everybody gets refreshed. Now, I've been in meetings where guys do that masterfully. Teal Osborne was one of the greatest, I guess, communicators of the gospel that removed the threat environment and caused you to be... Now, the opposite of that was Dr. Lester Summerall. Now, 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 now Brother Osborne would come in uh, with marshmallows and feathers. Brother Summerall would come in with a ball-peen hammer. But I got more revelation from the ball-peen hammer than I got from the marshmallows and feathers. You say, what do you mean by that? He hammered on my character. He challenged me. He said things from the pulpit. I'm telling you, he said things that were hard to hear. I mean, hard to hear. He said things, but see, here's the thing. You say, well, he's just a hard guy. Listen, I got to know him a little bit personally. He was one of the most loving compassionate men, but the way he communicated that which God had put in his heart over 148 nations, over 50-something years of ministry, came out in such a way that if you did not know how to be communicated to, you immediately stepped into a threat environment. So you've got to be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Because, see, God will feed you according to the diet in which he thinks you need, not what you think you need. Now, let's look at this again. I want to read it in the Amplified. I've got a few minutes here. We've got about 20 minutes, so I'll get it done. Amplified says this. Let me find it here. Verse 6. It says, And I pray that the participation in and sharing of your faith may produce and promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in our identification with Christ Jesus and unto His glory. How many want that? Oh, man, that's, that, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, that, that, that's what you want right there. It says in verse 7, For I have derived great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints, who are your fellow Christians, have been cheered and refreshed through you, my brother. So obviously this guy had a knack for a presentation of probably the harder points of the gospel, which made the harder points. You say, what do you mean by the harder points of the gospel? All of the points of the gospel that have smooth edges are those that deal with your needs and you getting something from God. The harder edges and points of the gospel are the things that deal with your character and God getting something from you. And sometimes we're very willing 
to listen very intently to the things that people are teaching and preaching about what God wants to give to you. But then when it comes to what God wants to extract from you, which is character, faithfulness, integrity, all the different character traits that make you who you are and what you have in Christ, then many times we throw up barriers, throw up walls, and we're not willing to hear. But you've got to be willing to eat the leg of lamb as willing to eat the leg of lamb as you are to eat the entrails. You say, what do you mean by that? God told the children of Israel, you got to eat the whole lamb. you got to have the whole thing. Thank God for what's ours, our prosperity, our healing, our, our deliverances, our breakthroughs. But then there's the other side of that that deals with character issues, that deals with our personality, that deals with our giftings, that deals with all the things that God wants to impart to us so that we can effectually communicate our faith. Now, notice this. I, I, I took some notes down, did some studying, uh, looked at some different scriptures, and I wrote, uh, I put a line down the middle of my page, and I put to communicate and to be communicated to. So I'm going to start with the to be communicated to side. Is that all right? Now, number one, it says, you must be teachable and submissive. Now, now you'd be surprised how many people are unteachable, just flat unteachable. I mean, you tell them over and over and over again, they keep doing the same thing, uh, having the same type of behavior, that you're unteachable. And you've got to make a decision in your own heart to be teachable. Now, myself, you've got to also understand who is teaching you. Amen. I receive an enormous amount of teaching up from above me because that's what affects me. I have many men that I listen to. I was listening to Mac Hammond today, pastors over in Minneapolis, Minnesota, teaching on leadership. Some of the best teaching I've ever heard on Man, I'm telling you, I just sat there and soaked it up. I took notes. I almost pulled over my truck at one time. I got home and took, took down a bunch of notes that I tried to remember. I almost pulled over at one time and looked for a pen to write something down that he said because he was effectually communicating on that subject. Amen. There are other men that are speaking to my life. Uh, 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 Pastor Sam, Pastor Mark, uh, uh, Pastor Paul Chase. All of these men that I bring in here communicate to me in an effectual way. And not only that, I communicate into their lives. But see, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm going to straighten out the pastor. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to straighten out the pastor. Number one, it's not your job. That's the job of Jesus, who's the head of the church, who gives pastoral gifts to congregations. It is, it, is, it is the Holy Ghost, and it is also the responsibility of the particular pastor not to isolate himself, which many preachers do, which many pastors do, isolate themselves so that nobody speaks into their life, and what they do is they turn in, they invert upon themselves, and they have that type of church. The church doesn't go out, the church stays in. So you've got to be willing to be submissive and teachable. The Bible says in James chapter 4, submit yourself therefore unto God. You've got to submit to the Word of God. You've got to submit to the Holy Ghost. And you've got to submit to spiritual authority that is over you or you'll never receive communication. Second. Everybody say second. Now this is an important one here. You must come to the place of being sold out to God. That means you're willing to pray that prayer. You say, what prayer is that? That prayer which is, okay, Lord, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I thank you for what you've done. But I see something else in your word. I see your will. I see your will. So I'm going to be like Jesus in the garden. And I'm going to say this. If there's any other way to do it, then do it. But nevertheless, 
not my will, but thine be done. Now, that's easy to get up and say that in a Wednesday night service here on Galveston Island. But is that really communicated to you? Now, think about that for a minute. Is that really communicated? I mean, does it go past the ears, past the soul, past the emotions, and drop down into your heart to where that act of your submission to God by giving Him your life totally becomes a reality of your life? Where you quit calling the shots, where you quit making the decisions, and for everything in your life, you seek the will of God. Which leads to the next one. This is the good one. You must be willing to accept inconvenience that obedience will demand of you. Now, a lot of people right there, that's where it stops. Lord, I want your will. I want your will. I want your will. And he tells you one thing. Come to prayer on Saturday night. Like, can't do it. You know the Galveston. You know the, you know, you know the, uh, uh, the, the traffic coming into Galveston. You know the traffic coming out. I ain't no way I can go to prayer on Sunday night. I'm on Saturday night. So that it stops right there for you. Now, that's where it stops for a lot of people. And when it stops there for you, what happens is, sure, you can sit in a church. There's even times when you'll be healed. God will touch your, 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 your finances. Uh, faith will work for you on a certain level. But as far as really experiencing the kingdom blessing of life and what it really means to live for God, you'll never know that. You'll die, you'll go to heaven one day. But I'm telling you, a life lived in submission to the will of God is the most exciting life any individual can live on this earth. And listen, if God is dealing with your heart about whatever it is, is the will of God, and you keep delaying it and putting it off and, well, wait till then and I'll be ready. You'll never be ready. You'll never do it. Every delay that you throw up to God will literally strengthen your resolve not to do the will of God. Because the will of God will inconvenience you, put you in a place of discomfort. It will cause you many times to question your own sanity. You must be willing to accept the inconvenience that obedience demands of you. The, the Bible says of Jesus over in Hebrews that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Man, he, st he started suffering from the get-go. You say, what? When he left heaven, suffering started. What do you think life was like in heaven for, 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 for the, the, the word part of the Godhead? The majesty, the grandeur, the, uh, uh, the respect, the, uh, you name any accolade that you want that he had in heaven. He gave it all up to come down and get into a human body, which was much less than what he was. But thank God He did it. He redeemed us by His grace and His mercy. And now He sits in a place in heaven, highly exalted, where He has a name that is above every name. He did not have that name before He came down to the earth, but He brought it back to heaven with Him because of what He did. Through His submission, through His willingness, and through that which He did, He served His way into a higher position that He left. That's why you need to come to those classes. I'll teach you on that. Fourth one. These are just four quick ones. i got some more on this we'll teach later. Number four, you must guard the gifts given to you by God. Now let me say that again. You must guard the gifts. And everybody's real willing to look at their own personal giftings and guard that. Yeah, I'm going to guard the gifts. I'm going to guard the gifts. I'm going to guard. God's given me this gift, this guy. No, no, that's not even what I'm talking about. 
That, that, that has no reference to what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this, Ephesians chapter 4, where the Bible talks about God ascending on high and giving gifts unto men. And he starts it like this, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now the problem with a lot of people is they look at a preacher and they see a personality. Amen? And when you look at a preacher and see a personality, then you've made a mistake. A pastor is a gift from Jesus to you. Not Rusty Martin. Rusty Martin is not a gift from Jesus to you. It is to Leah. Isn't that right? <laughs> but pastor is a gift that God gives the sheep, the people. The Bible said Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw the sheep without what? A shepherd. So he became the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, so that he could gather gifts and give them to men. And if you do not know how to, uh, to protect and value the gift of a pastor, then you'll lose it. You'll lose it. Now, there's relationships in my life. The one that sits at the top of that is Leah. So if you ever came to me and said, now listen, I'm going to talk to you about Leah. And you started running her down. It wouldn't last long, for I'd knock you upside your head. Or on the other side, if you came on and said, I want to talk to you about Leah. Oh, she's fine. And started going that direction. You'd get yourself in trouble on that direction, going in that direction. You say, why? Because she's my gift. And I protect the communication that I hear about her. Same way with me. If you don't do that in a marriage, you'll lose your marriage. Amen? You, you get into a job environment where everybody hates the boss. But he's the boss. And maybe he's not one of those kind bosses or compassionate bosses. Maybe he's one that kind of, kind of what do you call it? He's, he's authoritative. He rules like a, like, a, like a military guy. You know, like a, like a sorry, yeah, you mess with me, you just lose your job. You don't have no money, you lose your paycheck. I mean, you know, that's, that's how a lot of guys rule and reign in their little environments. They have their authority and they kind of, well, you get in there and, you know, you work two days and everybody's in your ear. I'm telling this guy's a jerk. You better watch out for this guy. Blah, 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 blah. Won't be long. Because what you'll do is they'll set you up. Come on, I haven't even seen this happen. The people around you that have lived with this jerk for all these years know all the stuff that he does the way he does it, and they'll set you up for you to respond, and then they'll back away from you like, and you'll get what? Fired. Come on. Come on, church. You gotta value that relationship. You gotta value that boss. You gotta value that teacher. I mean, same way with teachers. School. I listen to Breland sometimes. I'm talking about some teacher. I say, you better be careful. Because one thing that teacher's gonna do is she's gonna put a grade on your paper that's gonna talk, that's gonna have an effect on your future. Well, they're a jerk. Where are this? They're that. Well, you just gonna have to weather that, honey. You're just gonna have to go through that. That's all there is to it. And when you have a pastor in your life, now. That's, that's an issue that we are really having difficulty with in the body of Christ. People really having a pastor in their life the way it should. Now, there are different phenomenons 
which has caused this to happen in the body of Christ. I've looked at it, I've studied it, and I'm telling you, it's amazing. Number one, dishonor. Dishonor that's very unique in our nation at this point in time, where anything that's in authority or anything that sits in a high place is disdained. Now, I watched this begin to happen way back in the 90s when a certain president got himself in trouble and all this nasty stuff was on TV that denigrated the office of the president. And when that happened, it literally took honor down to another level in our nation. Now, I'm telling you, I don't care what you think about our current president. Because the president that we had before this, I never got up and gave an opinion about him. Like, I'm not going to do about this guy. I'm not political in the pulpit. I never got up and said anything. I never, I prayed for him. I interceded for him. We lifted his name up in this church. We believe God for the best. I don't care what you thought about him. You did not come in here talking bad about him. Same thing with the current one. But if you notice right now in our nation, there is a constant attack against that authority. The devil could care less that it's, that it's Donald Trump. He could care less. All he knows is this. If I can get more and more voices to disdain an office, I can bring the level of honor down in that nation where people no longer respect presidents, they don't respect vice presidents, they don't respect the Congress, they don't respect the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the court, the Supreme Court, they don't respect either. They're just like, ah, they're all a bunch of idiots. Don't think that does not get into the church. Because there is a pretensity in all of God's children to reject God-given authority. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. How many times they want to stone Moses? They want to stone David. They stoned Stephen. Come on, church. They hung Jesus on the cross. There is something in fallen humanity that Christianity has to learn to submit away from that so that the honor comes back to the gifts that God has given. So in order for you to be pastored and communicated to correctly... Number one, you've got to trust. Amen. That's why when you spend years at a church and just get up and walk off, you don't walk back into some other church and trust that guy up there preaching. Actually, you've been jaded. You say, what do you mean by that? Actually, all of the, all whatever it was, and many times, I'm telling you many times the reason people leave churches is they didn't value the pastor. And no value. Because if they had valued the pastor, they wouldn't have left the church. But what happens is just like at the job. There's all, just like I was talking about Leah. People come and talk. You don't come and talk to me about it. A pastor. Now, if you want to talk about Rusty Martin, that's one thing. But when you step up into the pastoral office and connect that word to my name, you got yourself in trouble now. Because that is a gift from God. Getting quiet in here. Getting quiet in here. Same thing with an evangelist or an apostle or anybody like it. The adversary absolutely knows that. He absolutely knows that. So you've got to make a decision to value your pastor or else he cannot effectively communicate to you. And if you will value him and honor him, trust is automatic. But a lot of people, 
have no trust whatsoever because they've been through three church splits, been in five other churches, and they carry the baggage of everything else that is in their life. And then when it comes God, time for God to communicate a healing word or a word of prosperity or a word of destiny to them, they cannot hear. God is screaming, screaming, and you're going, I need to hear from God, and God is screaming at you, but you cannot hear. Amen. Makes it difficult. Amen? Now, real quick, oh, man, where'd my time go? This helping anybody? To communicate. Everybody say communicate. Say, I will be an effective communicator because I'm being communicated to. Now, you will never be an effective communicator of your faith unless your life exhibits the effect of the ones that have been communicating to you. Now, real quick, that's, that's kind of a mouthful. Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews 13 real quick. For time's sake, I'm going to read it in the Amplified. 13 verse 7. It says, Remember your leaders and superiors in authority. For it is they who brought you the word of God. Observe attentively and consider their manner of living. The outcome of well-spent lives. Imitate their faith, their conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things and the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, and the learning of the entire human personality, leaning of the entire human personality on God, absolute trust, confidence in His power, wisdom, and goodness. Then it's the next verse. It sounds like it's almost out of place. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not. Because He was saying the only reason that we have followed Jesus is because we saw the effect of what He had upon the earth. And because of he is a he walked in. Now Paul could have said this: I never saw him walk through that wall. I never saw the hose in his hand. I never saw what the apostles saw. But I saw it in the spirit, and I gave my life for it. You see what I'm saying? There has to be people in your life that you look at them and say, "What they are doing is working." If you don't have anybody like that in your life, you need to get someone in your life that you can look at them and say, what they are communicating to me, I can tell it's working in them, therefore I want what they have. Amen? Amen? Everyone I surround myself with, everyone that communicates to me, some of them are still in heaven now. Some of them are alive, some of them are in heaven. But I watch their lives. I've been in their homes. I've been in other nations with them. I've flown on airplanes with them. I've been in their churches. I've seen the effects of their faith. And I want what they have, therefore I open a door of communication. Now, people are watching you. Amen? They're watching your life. They see that you're a believer. They see that you're a Christian. And in order to effectively communicate your faith, you've got to be willing to be transparent enough with people that they see the work of God in your life. They see the work of God. They see that, you know, this person talks about prosperity. They're prosperous. These people talk, these people talk about uh, 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 healing. They're healed. I was proud of Leah yesterday. I remember... The first time, I, I, when we first got married, I tell you, I believed God for two years for $1,000 to give to Leah to go shopping. She's raised in a very conservative home. I mean, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have much. 
Not much at all. And she was very, she had that money and she went to the mall and didn't buy nothing. I was like, give it back to me. But she's learned over the years. So yesterday, we're walking in the Galleria. We went up there to buy school clothes and stuff for breathing. We're walking, and there's a, what was the name of that? That car we looked at? A Tesla. So there's a place there where there was three. She says, let's go in and look at those Teslas. I didn't know what they hardly were. And they had one there that was an SUV with a thing. And she's just in there talking to that lady like she's fixing to pull out a checkbook and write one. I thought to myself, that girl's changed. That's not the same girl I gave $1,000 to 32 years ago. Amen. She even tried to find out how to go drive one. I'm like, oh, my God. Amen. But see, there has been a communication. The first thing I told her, sweetie, she had to watch me for a few years. She thought I was crazy. She had to watch me for a few years, standing outside of a budget, believing God. Saying, thank God for what we do have, and we can budget that, but we're not going to live by that. We're going to live by our faith. Has it worked, baby? It has worked in our lives for 32 years, and it's going to continue to work. Amen. Second. Everybody say second. Let me get through this. That was Hebrews. Let me get back to Philemon. Oh, yeah. Second, you have to prove. Everybody say prove. 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. You cannot convince anything, anybody of anything you hadn't proved. I mean, if you hadn't proved it, I mean, you can tell about, you need to read this book, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, it don't make a hill of beans to anybody. They can tell because anything you have not proved, you have no passion for. But something that you prove will put passion in you and anything you communicate with passion is easily receivable. I'll never forget, it happened to me in Dublin, Ireland, preaching in a meeting, coming out on the street, and a guy saying to me, I didn't believe nothing you preach, but I believe one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I believe you do. I do, amen? I don't preach what I hadn't proved. I don't get up and preach on faith to buy airplanes. I never bought one. Amen? I don't get up and preach on that kind of stuff. I preach on what I prove. You're going to have to prove some things and then hold fast to that which is good. And as you go through life, and see, you'll prove some things that are and you'll prove some things that aren't. And the things that aren't, you get rid of, you shuck out of your life. And the things that are, you grab a hold of and you hold that up as your banner and your trophy and say, I tell you, I proved it. I tell you, I proved it. It's hard to talk a blind man out of healing once his eyes have been healed. Amen. I mean, you're not going to talk me out of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're not going to talk me out of the gifts of the Spirit. You're not going to talk me out of prosperity. You're not going to talk me out of healing. You say, why? Well, because I'm ruined for that stuff. I've already experienced. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the more you taste of the Lord, the more you prove of the Lord, the more passionate you'll be about it. Last thing. Oh, I got to the end of this. Thank God. Ephesians 4, 7. Go there real quick. Let's look at that. Ephesians 4, 7. Now, I, I could probably do a message on this one, but I'm just going to hit it. Maybe we'll pick it up later or pick it up in our destiny classes. Ephesians chapter 4, and that's where Jesus is talking about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, all those things. Let me get over there. Ephesians 4, 
Is this helping anybody tonight? Now, just let's just lift the one scripture out. It says, but unto everyone. Everybody, everybody, how many is that? Unto every one of us. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, notice that again. Unto every one of us is given grace. If I say grace, that's the effectual working of God's power, God's ability, God's favor in your life. Now, listen to me very carefully. You must discover your grace. Let me try that again. You must discover your grace. Now, there is a grace that is in a church. Amen? And that grace in a church will cover you to a point. To a point. But to effectually communicate your faith, you're going to have to discover the specific individual. Let me read it in the Amplified. I think it says it like this. Verse 7. Yet grace... God's unmerited favor was given to each of us individually, not indiscriminately, but in different ways in proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and bountiless gift. That means there is a specific grace on you to do what God called you to do. Now, say you got a, 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 a grace for, for worship and praise. Sure, you come in to the church and you get on the praise and worship team and you start worshiping God and you just bounce along in the grace of the church. Well, you're, you're, you know, you'll get up there and sing, but you'll never really affect anybody with your worship. But when you are faithful to obey what the leaders of that ministry says to do, obey, faithful to pray, all these other things we're talking about doing, submitting yourself, being humble, being teachable, all of those things, you combine them together, you step up, next thing you know, you discover you have a grace for worship. You have a grace for praise. And your worship and your praise, many times, your voice doesn't even have to be heard. All it has to be doing, done is mixed with the others, and it'll bring this whole place up to another place of praise and worship. Same thing with ushering. Same thing with working in the nursery or working with children. Or in every area. I came to a church that was very small, out of a very large church. I already had a portion of grace upon my life to minister. But as I came to that church, the grace of that church began to grow. And as that grace began to grow, I did not ride on that grace. I went in and discovered my own grace outside of the church that mixed with that grace to bring success to both ministries. You say, what do you mean? If you're in ministry and your ministry does not bring success to the ministry that you're connected to, then you're frustrating the grace. But there's grace to be a housewife. There's grace to be a missionary. There's grace to be a preacher. There's grace to be an usher. There's grace to be whatever it is God's called you to be. There's a grace that you must discover, and you don't discover it by being lazy. You discover it by faithfulness, teachability, a desire, for God and the things of God, 
getting all the clutter out of your mind and out of that, that people try to dump in there, the what said this and who said that, all that kind of stuff, and just making a decision that the most powerful thing in my life that's going to promote me and keep me on the path of righteousness is the grace of God. And God said in His Word that there is an individual deposit of grace in every life, and it must be discovered. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You have to work. You have to fight. You have to make a decision. I will find that grace in my life because that's God's power working in your life to promote you, to bless you, to increase you. Some of you guys that are in business, you need to find the grace for your business. Yeah, you work. Sure, you work. Great. There's 10,000 businesses out there where people work. But you get a, you get a business with grace on it. And I guarantee you, you won't work near as much and you'll make 500 times more. You say, why? Because you found grace. You found grace. For everything that God has in your life, there is a level of grace you must discover. And once you discover that grace, you can effectually communicate the Word of God in such a way that people, when they hear it, they don't hear you. You're not an echo of somebody else's revelation. They hear God. They hear what God says. Mm-mm-mm. Should I do that? Nope, I won't. Okay. Ran out of time. So, everybody say, the communication, the communication, the communication of my faith is going to become more effectual than ever before. For I walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did you learn something? Does that help you? Praise God. Lift your hands and thank God. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and life. Thank you tonight for the good seed of the word of God being planted deep within our hearts so that we might become effectual communicators of our faith. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your blessing upon that which we do in Jesus' name. Now let me say this. This will be the last thought. Have you ever noticed how easily offense, prejudice, hate, dishonor, you name the negative thing. You ever notice how easily it's communicated and how quickly? And how quickly. I mean, just boom, like a fire almost. I mean, this negative thing will happen. Just go around town, go around the state, go around the nation. That's because that is the way the world's fallen system is geared for that to happen that way. We're over on the kingdom side. It's a great effort to keep your heart right, to walk in faith, to maintain integrity, to stay right before God in all that you're doing, to be submissive, to be humble, to be teachable. It's a great effort on your part. But the thing is, the payoff over on this side is you're just one of the crowd saying the same old stupid thing. And nobody will ever pay any attention to you whatsoever. Because they've heard it from the media. They've heard it from the person they were talking to yesterday talking about the same thing. They've heard it from just about every angle that you can think of. But you get over here on this side, and you're communicating your faith correctly. Faith and love. Humility. Teachable. All of those things that are a great effort to achieve, then when you open your mouth and say something, it is valuable to people. They treasure it. 
They want to hear it. I, I'm around people right now that I've been around for years that I've done everything I can do to lead them to the Lord. I mean, I do every, I've, I mean, I've said, pray with me now. And they're like, nah. Pray with me now. Nah. I mean, several of them, I've done it dozens of times. But every time I get around them, I talk to them just like I talk to you. Talk about being in the Philippines. Talk about what's going on in the church. Talk about somebody being healed. I don't, I don't. I talk the same no matter where I'm at. Duck blind, fishing boat. And when I begin talking and speaking to them, first thing that happens is they begin to get refreshed. Their spirit is just like a, like a bird in a nest going, I'm, I'm eating everything I say, everything I say, everything I say. They can rehearse back to me. We, uh, we, were, we were fishing, oh, I don't know, three or four years ago. We had a men's event. We're all over in Bolivar. And a friend of, my, friend of mine who's a fishing guide, he was there. We'd caught a bunch of fish. We had a whole table full of fish. Some of you men may have been there. And so my friend that was a guy, he was around. And as we were cleaning fish, we were talking about the Lord. Everybody's talking about, talking about God's this and that and this and that. And so this fishing guy, he's, this guy's not even saved. He goes like this. Well, let me tell you about a miracle. Everybody was kind of like. He said, I'm telling you, we were with Brother Rusty. He didn't call me brother. He said, we were with Rusty. He said, we needed rain. I think it was Alan and I and my dad were hunting. They needed rain real bad. No chance of rain. Nowhere on the deal. He said, we needed rain. We're going to lose all these ponds. We're going to lose all this stuff. All the rice fields are going to drop. We needed rain. And they prayed, and it rained seven inches. That's a miracle of God. Were you there when, he's, when, when he was? Yeah. This guy ain't even saved. There was an effectual communication of our faith to him. And it impacted him so bad. I mean, he'd get around people talking about miracles. He won't talk about his miracle. See what I'm saying? Well, he ain't long. He ain't long. He'll be, he'll, I've, I've, I've sowed too much, too much seed into him. Amen. And we'll reap a harvest one day. He'll be sitting right there. Probably be called as a missionary somewhere. Amen. So that's what God wants, is an effective communication of that which you have on the inside of you. Because it's so valuable. And it's what people need. Amen. Stand on your feet. Father, we bless your name tonight. Thank you for your blessing, your protection, your safety upon us. As is our tradition. We declare Psalms 91 over the church tonight. Thanking you no evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thanking you, Heavenly Father, each and every one of us in our particular unique life and lifestyles, in our travels, and in our works. We have your protection. We have your safety. We have your blessing. Angels encamp around about us. We walk on serpents, scorpions, over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. So important to even what we minister this evening that there is an effectual door of utterance in which we can communicate our faith to people just in the next few days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let us be a blessing to them. Let us be a help, not a hindrance. Let us, don't be relig let it, let us not be religious nor dogmatic. Let us speak life. Let us speak life to those that are hurting. Father, we leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you. We love you so much. Thank you for our church. We walk in love toward one another. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.